0: So I think they are ready for us. So welcome everyone to another episode of We Got Next. I am one half of the show. My name is Christian Hayes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AO shifty, and we have an amazing guest today. This is someone that I've been able to speak to off the record and it's something that I think a lot of you all would want to learn about. We have Fraser Edwards here from Czech, the co-founder.
1: Thanks. Thank you. Um, And yeah, really, really looking forward to this. Um, obviously, we spoke a while ago and I, th- I think Quite a few things have shifted since then, and yeah, looking forward to kind of uh, broadening the message of self-sovereign identity and what we're building at Check. so really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. Thank you. So before we get started, everyone, there will probably be a lot of new people that end up watching this. So at We Got Next, we like to bridge the gap between sports and then cryptocurrency. For example, you see what like FTX is doing in um, the sports world with them and then making it the FTX Arena in Miami. And then you have other companies like Crypto.com, they're working with the Brooklyn Nets and the NBA, and they will have a sponsored patch on the jersey. So being able to bridge it, then you also have athletes like Saquon Barkley that are getting into it. And recently, you have a lot of different NBA players in, in basketball that are working to end up getting into the NFT world. So we just want to be able to cover it all on the show. And we'll start with the sports aspect first, because we do have a sports fan here, but this will definitely touch on a lot of different sports that probably not everyone would expect us to talk about on the show, but it's ones that if you ever watch us, you know that I appreciate when the Olympics run too, but we want to end up bringing up the Red Sox beat the Yankees yesterday. So that was a big one. I'm a Yankees fan, Bronx Bomber, So it was a little disappointing that we are going to be able to figure out what they're going to do with Aaron Boone. He was a hometown hero when he did play on the team. So seeing him end up uh, being a manager and have his struggles, that is an interesting one happening there. A huge thing that happened, Last night was Jalen Smith got released. So the Dallas Cowboys linebacker, he had five years, $55 million remaining on that contract. So for them to release him, that was something that they thought wasn't necessarily going to happen. He did give up a 20 yard uh, catch in the game this weekend, but then he has seven and a half million dollars left in get dead cap money. So that's something that they're still going to have to pay him regardless. And then Stefan Gilmore of the new England Patriots, who was thought to be one of the best cornerbacks in the league, and American football also got released. So those are the two things over there. I want to bring uh, Fraser in for this one just to, what are your thoughts when you hear about a lot of the different athletes or sporting companies that are getting into professional sports and getting into cryptocurrency and how they're like blending together?
1: Um, I think for me, where there's like a clear value prop, it makes sense. So I love it when like they're stepping into the NFT space or like, uh what manchester city has done across in the uk to do to do with that in cryptocurrencies as well i think when you start to see kind of uh sports people getting into just like backing cryptocurrencies without necessarily knowing what they're getting involved in i think that's where it gets a bit shady so um like it's not a sports person but um i assume you you know about cameo right and the ability to get videos recorded um there's a politician in the uk um who's who's gone through cameo and people are basically getting him to just shill like terrible cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. and he has no idea what he's talking about but for yes. 200 200 english pounds like he's willing to say anything and i think that's where like the two sides can come together if, if there's like a clear value proposition like nba top shots is mm-hmm. awesome that, that's such a good idea but if it's just a sports person getting involved to like shill some cryptocurrencies i I think that's the bad side of it.
0: I, I think it's like anything. You always get two two different sides to this stuff. Mm. So bringing that up, touching on what Fraser just said, uh, another one is Kim Kardashian for everyone out there. She will end up you know, on Instagram live or like on her Instagram story and just put up like Ethereum something. And it's not the real Ethereum. It's just a random one that she has up there. Or another big one was Little Uzi Bird. So everyone out there probably know the very colorful rapper. And he was just showing like different NFTs. And they said, yeah, little Uzi got out of it. So it's those things that don't help when you just shill it just so you can make money. And you know your following are going to buy what you're talking about. And then you just get out of it so that you can make money. And then yet all your followers are just left questioning, like, what happened? It leaves a bad taste in their mouth. They think that they're going to end up profiting or do well in the space. And it has those people not necessarily want to do it. So I do agree with you on that one. Um, going deeper into the sports, what would you say are some of your favorite sports?
1: Uh, for me, it's probably a mix of boxing, uh, like pr- professional cycling, um, mm-hmm. but also uh, also rugby. And then I guess it's uh, one less to watch, but more like for me personally is uh, bouldering and climbing. So big mm. got like, deep water soloing. So not quite following in Ale- Alex Honnold's footsteps, but like I kind of, I've, had some of the same feelings of falling off something without a rope and uh, I don't know how he did what he did so yeah a bit of an eclectic mix but um yeah it seems to keep me well fit and at least uh yeah it it like always like they're always on at different times of the year so there's like sports all the way through which is which is kind of
0: the key so what's cool about what you said talking about uh rugby so when the Olympics were on that was probably the one sport I always watched in rugby I was I enjoyed watching when Fiji played, and then even when France was in it for the women. And then um, New Zealand is also another big one that I always enjoyed watching them. And in America, it's cool to end up seeing the rugby players that played overseas come to America and play in like American football. And you could just see the toughness within them is like very different because they're so versatile in the positions they can play. Whereas in like American football, you're almost two positions you could play. But in rugby, you're running everywhere. You can be the biggest guy out there and be the fastest person on the um, field. So, those are different things that I do, like seeing with rugby. Another thing is climbing. So, I would watch like the rock climbing events in um, the Olympics. And I remember it was one time this girl was all the way up to the top, like probably three quarters, about to like touch the belt and then she slipped. And it was yep. like those, th- yep. And it's like those different things are like, damn, you worked your whole life to get to that point and then you fall meanwhile the girl on the other side was able to touch it knowing she should not have won but they're going so fast in those different sports the timed ones but then even just climbing either on mountains or just climbing for fun that's difficult because you always have to watch your steps in different things
1: no exactly and going back to your uh, point on American football like one of the clubs I was kind of following was Wasps in the UK and mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you're aware, like Christian Wade came across mm-hmm. in the UK to go and play American football. And I don't know whether he's in like, I know he was drafted, but I don't know if he's actually in like a first squad at the moment, mm-hmm. but just his footwork when he was in the UK was unbelievable. Um, yes. So, so quick, so, so rapid and could change direction so quickly. Um, And he could like, I really hope that he does well out there because he he could be a great asset and he's. It's like a firework Like you just, as soon as you light him, you just don't know where he's going to go, which is so cool to see.
0: So it's crazy what the just brought up and everyone that watches the show, they know I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. Uh, Christian William plays for the Buffalo Bills right now as a running back. And it's crazy because that's a backfield that I think he will do well in. And also in that backfield for everyone out there, they have Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. My favorite quarterback, Josh Allen is there, but I think that's really good because I used to watch Christian play. Um, Before. So just seeing them even on the practice field, you can tell a person's footwork in rugby or even soccer when they transition into like the NFL, just because they're used to having to make quicker decisions and they don't have pads. So that affects you so much when you don't have pads. If you have pads, it's like, all right, I'll get hit and then I can go down. In rugby, you're not necessarily trying to get hit every time. And those, so that is cool that you brought that up and then touched on one of the teams. Um, something else I want to end up shifting towards is learning more about who you are. So we got to learn about the sports aspect and learn about different hobbies that you have. Uh, who is Fraser Edwards in terms of just what did you do before coming to Checked?
1: Sure. Um, so actually, it's, a, it's only a recent, well, a story that Ed kind of finished up recently. So we only started Checked back, back in March or April of this year. So it's, it's only mm. really been recent. Um, But before that, I was a consultant with Accenture. So um, I was mainly working on self-sovereign identity projects um, and just blockchain in general for the past three to four years. Um, Probably the highlights of that were working with the World Economic Forum and the Dutch and Canadian governments on the known traveler digital identity project. So that was building self-sovereign identity uh, for international travel. Now, what that looked like was kind of digitizing the passport, digitizing the boarding pass onto the mobile device, and then being able to walk through the entire airline journey without having to really present any either physical passport or, or that device. Um, and it very much looked like the, uh, the precursor to what uh, IATA are doing with their travel pass initiative. Um, and I just saw some news that uh, another airline has John Emirates and actually rolling that out in mm. scale. Um, and, and prior to that, I was working mostly on financial services blockchain. So, uh, working with the Central Bank of Singapore, uh, MAS, and working with Central Bank of Canada on cross blockchain payments um, on a project called the Jasper uh, Ubrin, I think, project or pilot. And that was creating uh, cross blockchain payments. Uh, so, from Quorum to Corda, and actually be able to hook those both up at the same time. Uh, I was quite lucky to get a couple of patents out of that. And I think that's kind of a, I guess to round up a, a quick intro, like I've probably spent the last six years just bouncing around different technologies and different roles. Um, and somehow that seems to have given me the perfect, hopefully the perfect background yeah. and skills to go and build Check.
0: Yeah. So what's cool is I usually like to listen to different conversations and interviews that Check does. So I was listening to when you all were on the was you and Alex, and just seeing uh, just the backgrounds that you and Alex both have, just two of the team members. Um, and it was, cool, because you guys do kind of have the perfect storm going into this, having just a diverse resume, a part of everybody, so that you can tackle so many different areas. And then you specifically, just hearing about everything, I was like, this is like a perfect co-founder for a company so that people can believe in and trust. And it's not one of those things that, all right, we're just going to watch him to see if he can end up doing it. He has a background to know what he's doing to take it over. So that is something I did appreciate. Um, next thing I want to talk about because we got the intro, I want to know how did you first get into cryptocurrency? Since check started this year, how did you get into cryptocurrency? What was your first cryptocurrency? Uh,
1: I think it was it was probably Ethereum, um, mm-hmm. and I think how it it came about in a bit of a, I guess it was it was that time when there were loads and loads of hackathons going on just like mm-hmm. worldwide, and I remember going to a couple and. One of them was, uh, it was basically just like, build whatever you want on Ethereum. Um, but it was a hackathon for, s- strangely of all places, solving problems for Papua New Guinea. Um, mm. I can't remember who it was sponsored by, but it was um, relatively find solutions for Papua New Guinea, regardless of like, they set out a bunch, they set out like a load of context, but you also got the chance to just go and uh, like research and then create whatever you wanted. Um and one of the areas that we decided to focus on was like in-country remittances, um, or even even international remittances remittances where um they were using things like thing, I mean the classic things like Moneygram uh and uh I'm trying to think of the other one. MoneyGram's MoneyGram is the one that comes to mind to like do international transfers or internal transfers, and it was costing them a fortune. Um and one of the things that we looked at was doing like Textable e-currency because um, also there's not a high like smartphone penetration in um, not a high yeah smartphone penetration in, in PNG. So we ended up creating this like textable e-currency that was then secured by biometrics. So before being able to set up like a pair wallet, you'd have to authenticate to show that you still had control of the phone. Um, and okay. like it was due to myself and Anchor's background at the time, where we were actually implementing voice biometrics in the UK. And so it was just like this weird combination of like the stuff we were doing at work, then blending into like, um, yeah, taking it into crypto world and blending that together into a hackathon. And it was, in hindsight, one of the things that, the things that we probably should have followed up a bit further, because it feels like it could have gone somewhere. But it had that classic, like, we did the hackathon, and then we just never followed up. And we we probably should have done. But that was probably the first taste. That was probably the first step into it. And then from there, like, whilst I, I was at Accenture, we started seeing loads of blockchain work coming in. And that was less on the crypto side and more on, like, the enterprise side. But it was still solving, like, big problems, like insurance markets, reinsurance, like US equity settlement with DTTC, like a bunch of different things um, kind of all across industry. So yeah, it started very much in just like hackathons in my spare time and then kind of grew into actually becoming my day-to-day job, which was was pretty cool.
0: So being in America, a lot of times um, we're not as in tune with the cryptocurrency space. How is it in Europe in terms of like cryptocurrency and blockchain? Is it kind of A lot of people have the conversations, or is it still in the phase of people don't necessarily know what cryptocurrency is out there?
1: Um, I think it's largely like demographic based. Mm -hmm. Um I think what's really fascinating is if you speak to speak to most people like they're doing something now. Like the the population is really, really growing. Um and when you've got like people like my mom who are now looking into it as well. Like, it's moved on from, she's a very, like, sophisticated fiat investor. So, like, she spends a lot of time, like, doing her due diligence, picking stuff out. Um, but she's starting to look into, like, crypto now as well. And there's been yeah. loads of stories in the news in the UK of, like, people my age and younger that are really getting into crypto because, like, uh, it's probably the same across the US. There's been such yeah. a, like, there's been such low interest rates for so long that people yeah. are looking for returns outside of the fiat system. And so a lot of that is starting to shift into crypto. And obviously it's because the money is going in, it's starting to become like a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, so I think it's, it's, yeah, very demographic based, but it seems to be just like this groundswell of people moving. Um, I'd say the, probably the one, like, yeah, I, I, yeah, nothing to add there. I think like it's, it's, it's just seeing a groundswell, groundswell of adoption.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so I asked that. Because like in America, unless you follow the stock market or you only heard about it through Dogecoin kind of thing or are in the financial aspect and sector, a lot of people don't necessarily know about it. I remember last year or late last year is when people started hearing about it because everyone was um, at home. So they were able to hear in that way. But a big thing is uh, being in the DC area. So MicroStrategy, everybody knows about then a lot of people around here start to know about it because everything of what michael Saylor is doing and how he continues just to invest in cryptocurrency and things of that nature but the next thing i want to get into is the self-sovereign identity aspect so can you talk to us about what is checked and then what is ssi
1: sure so it's it's probably easier to to almost take those questions well to take those questions in reverse so probably the first thing to start off with is, is self sovereign identity. And really it's about putting the individual at the center of the ecosystem. Um, and what we mean is like really putting the individual's like data back under their control um, and potentially under their own like ownership and storage. And it's very much like bringing the digital world into kind of alignment with the like physical world as it stands right now. So like most people probably listen to this, if they open their wallet, hopefully we'll still have like a driving license somewhere they're gonna have a passport. Um, and you have that on your, on your person, like you have complete control. No one has traceability of where you use that data. Whereas in the digital world right now, all of that data is stored with companies. It's stored with other organizations. Um, and Alex, our governance lead, like, wrote a really great, like, almost short form script of the interaction everyone goes through. And effectively, whenever you're interacting with these companies, you have to provide like, a username and a password to access your own data and do things with it. And like the impact of that can be seen in like how many passwords people have, how many user accounts people have. But also if you start using products like uh, obviously topical this week, but things like log in with Facebook and Facebook Mm -hmm. is down for six hours, suddenly you don't have access to your own data, even though it's yours. Um, So it's very much like part of it is bringing the digital world into line with like how the physical world worked and like the benefits from a privacy perspective of that but also like returning the like control and the privacy to the user And i think there's an extension here which is like actually becoming like from a business perspective really fascinating and it's that like when you start to combine the data onto the individual so they st- like they become their own data silo rather than it being in multiple different companies you actually get combinations of data that you would never have before. And a great example of this is like what's happened with COVID and the IR to travel pass. Like a year and a half ago, no one would have expected that you needed a boarding pass, a passenger locator form, a pa- like a passport, vaccine certificate, antibody tests, and a bunch of other stuff to travel internationally. And yet now you've got to bring all that data together to cross it, to go across borders. And I think what we're looking forward to when like SSI gets kind of properly adopted is, the combinations of data that you'd never previously have been able to achieve, that now you can ask a user and gain their permission for stuff to offer them a brand new service. So, I guess to go back all of, to, to all of it, it's very much the concept that an individual will kind of have control and potentially ownership of their data and therefore the ability to decide who they accept data from, but also who they share it to. Um, and they really become the center of the ecosystem rather than companies. So that hopefully neatly brings me on to, to what we're building at Checked. And really this was informed by like myself, Anchor, and, and probably Alex's experiences over the past kind of two to three years. And we've been involved in self sovereign identity for around that time, um, possibly longer on, on Anchor's part. And what we kept on seeing was that everyone loves the paradigm, like putting the user at the center. They, love the idea of the user experiences you can create. Like imagine just being able to get rid of passwords everywhere, like no more passwords, like no more login forms, no more registration forms, like all of that stuff disappears. Um, So everyone loves that part. The bit that they struggle upon is like how to monetize that data um, and how to actually monetize the technology. If you look at other identity technologies, like uh, IDMV kind of biometrics, they all have commercial structures around them. Like they all have a way of either solve, like uh, reducing costs or providing revenue. Like there's some commercial structure somewhere. And one of the problems that was hitting SSI quite, we feel quite substantially was there wasn't a commercial structure around this. Like there wasn't the ability to make payments for that data, even including the individual to make the ecosystem work. So. A lot of the ecosystems that were being spun up were like POCs that never went to production because they could never justify a business case. And I think that's where the nice thing with um, kind of IATA's travel pass, like that's one of the great first examples of this. But the key reason that it happened and the key reason that the technology was adopted there was it was effectively rescuing the Uh aviation industry. So the business case was super simple. It was like we need to start flying again to rescue the industry, and I think like we need to make that possible in other industries, and in other industries, transparently that means actually making payments in kind of concert with the data moving around. Um, so that means like the example everyone always uses is like um, is reusable KYC data. Um, so the ability to like do KYC once and then reuse it all the time. But other ones include like getting your degree as a uh, certificate, like a a verifiable credential. So it's with you at all times. And the benefit in the future is like, I think it's a problem worldwide, is people lying on their resumes um, and on their CVs. And this suddenly takes that out of the equation. So as an employer, you probably want to be paying like a couple of dollars to make sure that that person actually has the degree they say they do. being stung at the end so effectively like to boil all of that down onto what we're building it's effectively the payment rails and the commercial models for self-sovereign identity that's really what we're building when you kind of boil it down to to one single line i realize that's quite a long explanation there
0: no so you brought up something that i was talking to one of my friends i'm about not too long ago the resume aspect being able to verify that part can you just touch on it a little more how that is something that would be verified because I talk to a lot of people and I do a lot of hiring, let's say, on LinkedIn and then also um, with resumes. And you can see it. And a good example I always think about is there was this college basketball coach that Leiden said they graduated from the University of Kentucky when they fell short um, six credits. So they technically didn't graduate. But it's something that nobody would have known if they weren't as well known of a coach as this guy. If it was just a regular person, they probably would have been in side through because they weren't going to verify it but explain how that can happen because I think that's something huge that a lot of people don't realize. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And probably the the first place to start is like, where the kind of the real like origin of this is, the organization issuing that data kind of establishes a public identifier of some description and says like, Mm -hmm. hi, put in your example, like I am the University of Kentucky, like you can come and find me, you know where I am. These are all the details, like this is me. Um, What would then happen is effectively like if we take your example, um, he ideally would have graduated. Um, He at that point, ideally, obviously with the paradigm kind of emerging, has his identity wallet on his mobile, in the cloud, like somewhere that he has control. And effectively, he'd identify himself to the university and say, hi, I'm whatever the guy's name was. And they'd go, okay, yep, you passed your exams, you've graduated, like here's all of your scores, and we will issue a digital credential to your wallet. Um, and none of that data goes across the blockchain, but what it is is cryptographically signed by the issuer. So University of Kentucky would actually sign that data, send it across to, your, to, to the coach, and then at that point it sat in his wallet. And like, mm. obviously he can bring up his phone and show people, but that doesn't really do that much. Um, but what he could do in the future is actually share that onto another organization and the benefit of this is that um, the organization he shares it to can see that actually he is the recipient because he signed it too but also that it was issued by the University of Kentucky and they can effectively resolve that through like the the signature Um, there are kind of blockchain networks like we'll be providing this kind kind of capability unchecked Um, but there are other technologies emerging out there that can also do the kind of the resolution of where that signature has come from. Um, so broadly speaking, like the data gets issued to the individual. They keep control of it like they would their university degree in their like drawer in the office somewhere. And then instead of presenting like a PDF, which is easily defrauded, you actually send a digital version of that to whoever you need to. And the benefit here, obviously, is that like you don't have to do any scanning. You're not sending copies. You're sending the original every single time. And, for example, like um, to if we look into like another way that the coach could have failed, like maybe he did pass, but then they found he cheated one of the exams. Mm. It's also possible for the university to go back and like retract that data after it's been issued if it has been falsely claimed. So the great example of this is if you lose a passport, you need to be able to cancel the passport or a driving license or a card. Mm-hmm. So you can effectively do the same process, even though the data is with the individual. And that's really the benefit of this is you really put the individual back on like they get to decide what they accept and what they share. Um, but it also means that when your coach turned up to pretend like he'd, uh, he's graduated he wouldn't have been able to present the certificate or the, the digital credential to actually back that up and
0: hopefully would have been found out. Yeah. So my other thing I want to bring up is a lot of this um, people probably use their phone. What if someone loses their phone? Uh, will their data be compromised or will there still be a way for the person who ever takes the phone and can get in the phone? Uh, they won't take the data. Uh, great question.
1: So there's there's a couple of nuances there. So um like the wallet is very much secured in the same way that your bank account would be on your phone so like it is under passwords it is under biometrics and actually you can make it kind of even stronger than that if you need to but the nice thing here is like firstly it's it's, to get at someone's data you're now having to like break into individual devices so rather than say like a leak with Equifax where you can get millions of um, kind of people at one time, you're very much gonna have to start going after people one by one, at least for kind of all of that core of the data. Um, But the other benefit of this, also the other side of this is it's also kind of backed up to the cloud and still encrypted. So it is possible to kind of secure that data into somewhere where you can access it. And obviously the kind of the security process around that then become extremely important. Um, but the the counter of this is like, even if you get into the phone and you need to start sharing this data around, it's still possible, like I was saying, to, to revoke that data, to go back mm-hmm. and tear it all down and reissue it. So the beauty of this is it's very much moving from like, if I get hold of your passport right now, I've got enough data from just reading the digits of it and passing it around to be able to go and make, say, bank applications if they're not checking biometrics or if they're not checking kind of my face against yours. Mm-hmm. Um but it gives me enough like because it's it's just data and clear the beauty of kind of the ssi side of stuff and verifiable credentials is because they're cryptographically signed even if you get that data you can't just kind of copy and paste it and use it elsewhere you still need that kind of cryptographic data that you're sharing around and that means that if that data is then revoked then actually that data depending on the checks being done by the verifier becomes useless so it's almost like being issued a new passport or new driving license. Like, yes, you've got hold of the original, but you actually can't use it anymore um, because it's effectively been, um, yeah, retracted or revoked. Um, mm. So there's, there's like multiple layers to this. There's like ways you can make your data kind of secure and resilient if you lose a device, but there's also ways of like just revoking and retracting that data. If, if you are ever compromised that you simply can't do right now, like all the people, I think uh, a great example in the U.S. is so many people lose social, social security numbers or have them kind of stolen. Yeah. And once they're gone, they're gone. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one of the kind of, big adv- kind of big drivers to move to this kind of technology is even if you had that data, you wouldn't have the original. And therefore, it's no, of no use to you. So, yeah, there's a, a lot of kind of nuances and layers to, to that answer.
0: Yeah, so I appreciate you bringing up the social security part because I wanted to touch on what happened with Poly Network and then Biloxi also had a hack, but then T-Mobile. A lot of people I know in the U.S. were compromised because of T-Mobile, a lot of their information was taken Biloxi, a lot of the cryptocurrencies, someone was able to hack, they started slowly giving it back, but some of it is still frozen there. And then Poly Network, a lot of people know how much they were hacked. So can you just go into the security aspect and then deeper into the data aspect? Because I know a lot of people are going to be like, all right, we're getting compromised on these different ways. Now, Fraser and the team wants us to use checked with SSI to keep all of it kind of in one spot. So how will everything be secure within you guys?
1: Sure. And this is, this is the key thing for us. Like we're very much the, the underlying network and the payments layer. So the actual data itself very much goes from like organizations to individuals to organizations, and it never hits the blockchain ledger at all. So the nice thing here is it's, it's very much peer-to-peer and goes via like secure channels, like the whole HTTPS, TLS, like security models, as well as being like pairwise key encrypted. So when the data is in transit between the organization and the individual like it's never in clear like you could even if you got inside and intercepted the the tunnel you'd still be looking at encrypted data on each side mm-hmm. so there's like when that data is in transit it's secure when it's on your phone it's again should be as secure as your banking application where it's like you'd have to break through the same layers of security to get access to the wallet and arguably you can start kind of adding extra information if you need so the need to combine your phone with like a hard token if you wanted to or to combine it with a card that you have in a wallet to go and release certain data so there's all this kind of security that adds on top i think the big benefit is very much that it is like you would have to start targeting individual people um, rather than especially to get all of their data Whereas right now, like that's one of the problems with T-Mobile and say Equifax is, they're storing hundreds of millions of records on people, and they have a lot of information about them from their address through to their credit card details. Um, so the damage that you can do by gaining access to somewhere like that is colossal, because you you're kind of um, you're kind of just running on the the logic that inside a hundred million. There's going to be enough people with the same, like either you get hold of the credit card details, in which case fair game, or you get hold of their passwords, which you can then use against the bank accounts that you think they have to kind of work mm-hmm. it through. So you're kind of working on like, if you start off with 100 million, you eventually end up with a population which can still be compromised because of various security flaws. Whereas like SSI is very much flipping that on its head and saying like, you you're going to have to go after individual people for this stuff. So it becomes, like, drastically less efficient and less scalable, um, as well as, like, almost having to get hold of a physical device, depending on how it's stored. Um, like, it could be in someone's cloud. Like, therefore, it's mm-hmm. it's under that kind of access. But if it is tied onto having control of the device, suddenly you need that device as well as the password and maybe the mm-hmm. biometrics on how to access it, to it. So there's, like, multiple layers. I think the, the key thing probably for us is, like, that data will never be on our network at all. It's always gonna be with, kind of between the organizations and the individuals, and we're very much staying away from that. Um, But even between the organizations and the individuals, there's there's plenty of kind of um, security um, kind of layers that are added in there.
0: Wow, thank you. The other thing I wanna then ask what checked is, is this something that's going to be more so UK or Europe specific? Are you looking to make this like a global? uh branding company
1: um absolutely global so um it's somewhat like some of the staff currently are in the uk but we're very mm. much like looking to to break that out and i may be uh, well very likely to be kind of moving to continental europe very soon mm. um if you kind of uh, look at like where our opportunities are like it is completely global um like self-sovereign identity is being built around the world it's just absolutely colossal um, and to give some some kind of context that um, between the fact that we've publicly like open sourced our um, network or like node operator uh, kind of application, so anyone can technically run a node on the on the network, but also the conversations like my um, our head of partnerships, uh, Toby has been having, they span all the way from like north uh, kind of North America all the way mm. across like Thailand and Japan. Um, so just the breadth is, yeah. um, and the benefit for us is obviously like, if we can bring all these people onto the network, the credentials that they can create can start being used anywhere as well. Um, and that's, that's the thing for us is like, we really want this to be kind of global like follow the interoperability as much as we can like that obviously a very easy thing to say but something that it's one of the reasons we join trust over ip and and diff is to actually kind of follow that up and do the work Um, but we really want to become this like de facto payment mechanism for identity but do it because we're doing the right product that works in a decentralized manner and actually is somewhat owned by the people running the infrastructure Um, yeah we're we're absolutely global and so um, if there's anyone from from the U.S. that would be happy to speak to us, we'd love to hear from you.
0: Perfect. That sounds good for them. Uh, the next thing is blockchain. So a lot of times people are curious about what blockchain a company is built on or if they're on their own blockchain. So what blockchain are you on and how do you guys or how do companies come up with the decision to be built over on a certain blockchain?
1: So we've, we've got a good blog somewhere, I think, um, which I'll dig up in the background. But effectively, like to strip it back to um, kind of my experience as a tech consultant and anchors as well. Like it's very much like choosing, it makes it sound flippant, but like choosing any other technology. Mm
0: -hmm. And it's
1: very much looking at the outcomes you want to achieve and therefore the requirements you need to achieve that. And then kind of rooting that through to understand like, what is the process that we need to go and achieve these things? Um, So like to go back to like, my pr- first couple of projects with anchor we were looking at voice biometrics and therefore we had to go out and choose different platforms and kind of blockchain and the network we're on is basically for the exact same thought process so a great example is a lot of identity projects certainly ssi projects are built on uh, a ledger called hyperledger Indy, um and it was kind of custom built for identity but the the problem that's kind of appearing is that it's really um, hasn't kept up with the times. Like there are platforms that have outstripped it on kind of scalability and volumes. So they, it's kind of not performing against them anymore. But also it's it's really not built for a token. It's not built for payments. It's not built for kind of decentralized governance. So when we were looking at building kind of payment rails and uh, kind of commercial models for identity, um, it very much became like we had to start looking at alternatives basically from Indie. And then we started looking at the capabilities that we wanted. So obviously native token functionality was one. Then we were looking at like decentralized governance was a positive, which like Alex would love to go on and on for for like Mm -hmm. how much that's changed what we're doing. Um, But also we were looking at like stuff outside the platform. So like external support. So an example of that would be um, because we've chosen Cosmos, like as well as having decentralized governance in the tokens, it also has support from uh exchanges it has support from uh custodians uh dexes like there's all this kind of stuff that is existing whereas if we had stayed on indie we wouldn't have access to any of that we'd have had to Mm -hmm. effectively go to an exchange and try and persuade them to adopt a new protocol and it would have taken forever and it still Mm -hmm. wouldn't have been the right answer even if they did so really it was kind of like looking at the looking at the outcomes we're aiming for and then going back into, okay, what do we actually need the platform to do to achieve that? And then just benchmarking a bunch of platforms. So we looked at Cosmos, Solana, Polkadot, uh, Stellar, Ethereum, obviously. And effectively off the back of that, we've, we've written about it in detail somewhere. Um, Cosmos was by far and away like, the one that made sense. Um, it's one of the reasons why we're going to be able to execute like inside six or seven months to build mm-hmm. an entire network from scratch. Whereas we think if we'd gone on to some
0: of the other networks, we'd still be building next year. Wow. So I do appreciate that. And that's something that I know a lot of people are always curious about because people just say we're a layer two on Ethereum or we're layer one on this and that. And it's like a lot of times people don't necessarily know the process of how it goes about. So it's always good to end up hearing the background. The other side, a big topic, and you have been doing a rollout of this, is the tokenomics, because a lot of people like to learn and know about that. If you can, uh, can you talk a little bit about the tokenomics, whether it's like circulation, supply, the percentage to the foundation, the team, or however much you can give?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So probably the easiest stuff to talk about is like the parameters and what that looks like, and we've we've actually released a, a blog already, I think, called "Want well, to get yeah. it up in the background." Um, but effectively, like, uh, yeah, <laughs> checks tokenomics for SSI explained, author by myself mm-hmm. and Um, So that's already already up there and that basically kind of goes through like the inflation on the network, which is somewhere between 1% and 4%, um, the staking on there and what the rewards may look like. Um, There's also kind of, Alex really goes into the detail on the governance side. And the reason behind that is like, it's not just a small part of the network, like a big part of identity networks is how they move forward and how they're governed. Um, So, there's a really big driver there to make sure that we get something democratic and decentralized that we can work to. Um, In terms of the distribution, we're actually aiming to get that out inside the next two weeks. Um, So, probably the sneak (laughs) peek is there'll be around a billion tokens kind of uh, initial supply. Um, But inside the next kind of two weeks, we'll actually be publicizing kind of the follow up to the blog that myself and Alex wrote and actually go into detail of like what is the distribution between. Kind of backers, team, advisors, the community, um, and and start shaping those out. So, um, effectively, we've got it all drafted up, and now it's uh, going through the rounds of making sure that I haven't written anything stupid, um, and then hopefully, like, this is one that we're really looking to to get out the door. We're we're so so close to to launching now um, that it's one of those things. It's one of those final kind of pieces of material that we need to really get out of the door and quickly.
0: Thank you. So the other thing is, if anyone looks at the roadmap, they'll see like testnet and then when they're going to have their launch then also mainnet. But for people that haven't looked at the roadmap yet, can you just let everyone know when the timeline is for you guys to go mainnet or have that launch? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, Probably the best I can say is like inside the next two months, um, we're aiming for as soon as possible. There's a lot of moving pieces on our side. um, And I think um, so, publicly, what I can say is inside the next two months. And really, what it boils down to is like I could pick a date next year and be pretty confident that we'd be able to hit it, like, because we could basically just do it and chill out. And we'd be able to say, like, I guarantee on like the 12th of February, it will be up and running. Um, whereas, effectively, because we're running so quickly, like, we've only been around since April, yeah. um, like, there's a lot of moving parts, but we're pretty confident we can do it inside the next two months. Um, And that means that like that day, if we committed to one would move around a decent amount, Mm -hmm. Um, but we're pretty certain that inside the next two months is is very, very doable.
0: Mm. Thank you. The other thing is, and you touched on it some, but a lot of people always want to know when is the token launch or when are you guys going to release that? Do you guys have a timeframe of when the public will be able to take part or even find a chance to get their hands on check tokens?
1: Sure. Um, So at the moment that's looking around the same date. So we're Mm -hmm. looking to make that extremely, extremely close so we can effectively bring it up um, in one. Um, That'll probably be part of like the distribution um, blog that we start pulling out. Um, I'd say for anyone interested in that side of stuff like follow us on Twitter, find our telegram, just app checked, um, literally all of the information will start coming out via those channels as we get closer. Um, Effectively because of that kind of moving parts, um, like the best I can say is around the same time as mainnet, but if you're following our channels, you'll start to see kind of those announcements come out as we get a lot closer.
0: Yeah. Thank you. And then another thing that we just always ask everyone. So it's my co-host's favorite question to ask is Bitcoin has started to become mainstream as of recent. Why would you say, uh, there's been a lot more attention and awareness on Bitcoin currently compared to in the past So not as many people knew about Bitcoin?
1: Oh, good question. I, I think a few things. One is obviously like it's being adopted as like actual nat- natural, national currency. So like the, the actual utility of it is always steadily increasing. Like when you've got, I mean, it's flipping, but uh, kind of obviously went different ways, but like Tesla is accepting Bitcoin, PayPal mm-hmm. accepting Bitcoin, like Amazon looking to start hiring engineers that looks like they're heading down this road as well and like it's still very much used as just a barometer for like crypto adoption in general so i think it's like a mix of the adoption has broadened massively um but also the utility has and somewhat i think that is a like a virtuous virtuous cycle like the more adoption it gets the more utility it gets and it just keeps on going and going and going and i think the i think that some of a lot of what is supporting the kind of the floor of the price now as well as that utility like you're like yes there's still some wild swings but they're not going to the lows that they were before because mm-hmm. like whilst you're having some countries stepping out of the market and banning crypto to some degree like there's still so much other utility and you're also getting like the big banks involved like like You've got ETFs where actually, like, someone can go and like invest using fear, and yet the underlying asset is, is Bitcoin. Like, the, again, that's more of that like utility and adoption is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's getting easier. Um, and I think it's also like all of the exchanges that have been spinning up in the last couple of years, like, have had a real focus on how to make it as easy as possible for for individuals, like, not necessarily highly sophisticated like crypto natives. To go and adopt the tech, like, the, I guess going back to the top of the call, like, the fact that my mum is looking into this and the fact that yeah. she's not, I wouldn't say a sophisticated crypto native from what I'm aware, mm-hmm. like, the fact that she's going into this and feel pretty comfortable that, that she can, like, start looking at uh, exchanges and that kind of stuff. And there's plenty of other people we speak to that are also going down that route. It's just getting easier and easier and easier to get in. And there's still, like, if you look at overall adoption worldwide, it's still... Still quite a small group compared to global
0: population, so there's
1: still a long way to go.
0: So I appreciate that. The other thing I want to talk about is just the demand so far checked his head. So if anyone hasn't read what Fraser and everyone has started announcing and releasing, they just uh, completed September 24th, a $2.6 million round, and it was a valuation of $42.6 million for that valuation. Uh, How has the demand been? for Checked, obviously, definitely a lot of people do support it and a lot of backers you have, but how has the demand been, would you say?
1: It's, it's been incredible. Like transparently, as a, as a first time founder, this was one of my biggest concerns was like getting the cash on our side and making sure that we had like runway to, to go through. And just, I mean, it's it's never as easy as you'd hope it would be, but it was also pretty incredible um and i think a lot of that is down to the kind of the backing that we have so uh the likes of outlier ventures the likes of f and um and also kind of the other investors that we've had from day one and the networks and, and also the like not even to speak about the advisors that we have all be able to kind of tap into the networks and bring us through so like we've we've had a really good community and really good set of advisors from day one and that's made our life a lot easier i think also just we're hitting or we were coming to coming out for investment at a quite a good time from just a global consciousness like point of view. So like it was during that period where WhatsApp was pushing out terms and conditions that not necessarily everyone was happy with. Like there's still that backlash against the big social networks um, and general kind of big tech. And there's very much just like this movement to owning your own data. And also like as as bad as it is for for our company, like. Uh, bad as it is for the kind of the world, um, like the fact that COVID has moved so many people online and so many people remote yeah. means there is now a massive shift to digitize stuff that previously was kind of getting by. Mm-hmm. And I think exercise, re- like, again, to go back to the to travel pass for probably the 15th time, but, like, that's a perfect example of something that historically was getting by and it was okay, but you need a solution like this to go make it work in a COVID world. Um, and we're starting to see that like completely cross industry. So we were really lucky. Like the demand was incredible, but I think it was mostly a function of just like amazing community and advisors, and just the right time. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely the right time to be going and doing this now.
0: Yeah. So touching on what Fraser just said, with in terms of digitizing. So a lot of people, if you're still not fully understanding, think of digitizing. For example, with menus. You used to go to restaurants and they would just have the physical menus. And you notice QR codes started popping up a lot more. QR codes have been around for a while, but because of COVID, just like same with a lot of other companies, um, because of COVID, you've had to start digitizing things. So you could just scan the QR code and you'll see the menu on your PDF on your phone. So those are like different ways. That's a super small scale, because what Checked is doing is way more in depth, but that's just something I wanted to bring up. But before anything else, I want to just thank you, Fraser, for coming on here. How can people stay in touch with you all in terms of either reaching out to you or talking to other people?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so probably the easiest way is to find us on Twitter. Um, so if you just look for checked, uh, I think, underscore IO, um, you'll find us there. And hopefully if, I, uh, if I've i got this like uh, set up properly, we'll be able to kind of distribute them in hopefully the podcast notes, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like, I'd say the main place is Twitter. Uh, the other one would be our kind of telegram. Um, obviously that's a bit more of a community to, to go and speak to, um, like inside, inside a forum. Um, but I'd also kind of check out our medium as well. So if you head to like, uh, I think it's blogs. Uh, um, you'll effectively find everything that we've written since the start. And that covers off like everything from, the mission and what we were setting out to do back in April all the way through to like tokenomics and Alex's governance work recently. So regardless of where you're at, like whether it's Twitter, Telegram or Medium, you'll find, hopefully find some uh, interesting content from
0: us. Yeah, good. So something I will just let everyone know, to second what he just brought up is look at their medium if you're someone that likes to read they go in depth on everything that they end up putting out it's not like a two-second read you get to understand and break down everything and it'll answer the questions you might have when you first start reading they'll be answered by the end i've also been a part of their telegram communities and they've consistently been growing over the months you have started to see their telegram start growing and twitter they're also very good at end up getting back to you or even just like being responsive so those are different things i want to say uh before we close up here fraser do you have anything else you want to say to everyone uh i
1: guess probably reiterating what we just covered like we we're really gearing up to launch soon like probably the biggest well like a nice little milestone that happened like this week was just getting ourselves on um coin market cap so like we're prepped Mm -hmm. for when we launch but it's just one of those small things that is a sign that like we are going and we're going at pace and it's going to be extremely soon. So, um, again, to reiterate like Twitter, Telegram or medium, like come find us because yeah, if you're listening to this, you're still early. Um, so, so get there quick um, yes. that for me.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. So, Prazer, sure I want to say I appreciate it. The check team, everyone, and thank you for just letting me have the co-founder on the show. We do appreciate it. Only things I want to say is just make sure to end up checking us um, out either on Twitter or just listen to us here. This is something that we're going to put on Spotify. We'll put it on YouTube so everywhere you'll be able to listen to it. And play this back. You're not going to catch all the information just in one time. Make sure to play it back again. Eat the Lorien, if you're listening, we've been talking about doing resumes digital and just find a way to verify it well check has a reason to end up doing that so everyone out there thank you again for listening christian hayes we got next we out bye thank
1: you